Hi, everyone. I'm Anthony Mindel. Welcome to In The Moment, a podcast about acting, art, and life, and that tricky little thing we're all after but rarely find ourselves in, the moment. In this series, I talk to all kinds of creatives and friends about the joys and the ah, heartache and challenges of acting, writing, producing, and getting out of our own ways to be the creative channels we all are. For more information, go to anthonymile.com, and you can also find us on SoundCloud and iTunes. Okay, I hope you enjoy. On today's episode, we have actress Camille Hyde, starring in All-American Homecoming, premiering February 21st on The CW. They talk about challenging yourself with new roles, imposter syndrome, and how the industry has shifted with the focus on diversity. Anthony has a new book coming out, Unstuck, a life manual on how to be more creative, overcome your obstacles, and get shit done. Check out anthonymindel.com unstuck to sign up for updates, promotions, and enter to win a free signed book. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of In The Moment Podcast with my guest. You may know her from Katie Keene. And now we just heard the news that it got picked up, All-American Homecoming, Yay! Welcome, Camille Hyde. Yay! Good to see you. I'm so excited to chat with you. So um, just for my listeners, Camille is in Vancouver shooting, um, filming. And so the, the reception might be spotty at times, but we all know that in this post-COVID world, it is just what it is. We'll get through it. Um, so Camille, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. So you just got up there three weeks ago? Yeah. So um, for those who um, know about Katie Keene and Riverdale and the Archie universe, uh, Katie Keene and Riverdale are essentially uh, derived from the same comics, the Archie comics. And uh, my character from Katie Keene, Alexandra Cabot, is also an Archie comic, and she is making a little appearance in, in Riverdale. So um, she's, yeah, she's in this episode of Riverdale, which will probably be coming out later on this year, um, which is fun and exciting. But, um, you know, how things work, Katie Keene didn't unfortunately get picked up for another season but to be in this universe it's so great to be able to still bring Alexandra into the Riverdale universe and it's been really yeah. fun well you're gainfully employed that's good news right <laughs> yeah right exactly right yeah, you're working yeah it's awesome and I think that probably speaks to maybe your own you can talk to this about this like you know, sometimes I think when actors break through and Katie Keene was a big breakthrough for you, right? Like, but then we think like it's going to change everything and it doesn't like, I think like careers, I'm always trying to remind actors are like step by step and it takes longer than we hope and wish for sometimes. And one thing leads to another. And if you keep doing good work, that leads to more work, right? As opposed to now all my life's problems go away just because I got cast on a show. Exactly. And, you know, I feel like most actors fall victim to that mentality and kind of, you know, put all of their eggs in one basket when something is exciting. And it's so it's easy to get extremely excited about things and not to say that you shouldn't be excited because every win is a win. Every time you book something, no matter what the purpose 
was for you to book it, it may not be the thing that changes your life, but it always is another stepping stone to get to where you want to be. And sometimes where you want to be isn't necessarily, you know, in the beginning of your career, you think, oh, wow, this is what I want for my career. Then you work for a couple of years and you're just like, you know what? I feel like my energy sits a little better in this place. And I'm going to start focusing on these kinds of things. So for an actor who really respects the, the industry, the art, um, the collaborative process of film and television production, you should always be grateful to be wherever you're at, but also knowing that hey, like you, you really have to love what you're doing. And as long as you're doing that, you're gonna be fine. But keeping an attitude of gratitude is the most important thing. And um, it's totally, totally okay to be ambitious. It's totally, totally okay to be like, I wanna be in a huge studio film or be in a really deep, well-written, extremely um, high regarded indie. festival run movie or an yeah. indie, yeah. Um, but you know, all of those paths are different. And I think just having respect for, for the art and for the work that you put in will allow you to get to that place. Well said. I also love what you said about, you know, as you navigate your career, also making choices of like more of the kind of work you want to do. Right. I think that's hard sometimes for our actors because they get so desperate that they're just getting any kind of work and and they just will say, keep saying yes to certain work they've already done before, even though maybe they've phased out of that kind of work, you know, but they still keep doing it. And I get it. It's like, it's like anything. I remember I have a student who was accomplished a lot in the dance world and it was easy for him to keep doing dance jobs. But then he had to start saying no, because he knew that those saying yes to things that he could do easily were keeping him from really stepping into what he really wanted to do. Absolutely. And I think you know, a huge thing for artists is you've got to step out of your comfort zone and you absolutely can't put yourself in a box because it's easy to sit there in the same box and doing the same things. But at a certain point, that's all you're going to be seen as. And that's something that a lot of actors, um, especially beginning in the, the first couple years, the first couple projects of their career, it's just the excitement from working. But the no's that you say in your career are just as important as the yeses. And it doesn't mean you're, you're not grateful for those opportunities, but it means that you want growth in your career and you want to have a challenge. And, and honestly, the only way you can get better is by challenging yourself. And sometimes that's really scary. I see scripts sometimes where I try to convince myself that I'm not ready for them because they're scary and intimidating, but I force myself to audition for them if I truly believe that I can work with a coach and I can get through the hump of whatever it is that I'm scared of and confront it face on. And it's really, really important to believe in yourself, not have imposter syndrome and be like, oh, I could never do that. Let me just be comfortable where I'm at. I know I'm going to book where I'm at right now. But if you want to grow, that's not a mentality that you 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 can have. So. It's true. I always say, Camille, too, like, imposter syndrome. I did a lesson on that not too long ago. Like when I was your age, there was no, nobody, there was no word called imposter syndrome. So that's something, you know, now that we're living in like, oh God, this digital age, there's so many words and labels and descriptions for things that people have been co-opted to make them mean something. And I think like 
I always tell people like, it's not a real thing. Don't take on this thing of being imposter because either we're all imposters or nobody's an imposter because everybody is negotiating different variables based on where they are. Like even somebody at the highest level in their game is still going to be questioning, did I do that right? Or, you know, oh, I could have done a better take or they watch a take. Like the biggest actors talk about that. They're like, oh God, that wasn't very good. And I think sometimes when we don't have the experience behind us, we use the imposter thing as a way to not keep moving forward. Right. Absolutely. And that's something that, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts to listen to the experiences of other actors who have gone through this before. And all of them have started somewhere. I've listened to Kaylee Cuoco's, Mila Kunis's, Elizabeth Banks, and all of them have had similar experiences of saying like, wow, like I'm looking around and I see, you know, this A-lister, a this person who won, you know, two Oscars and whatever. And like, do I belong here? Am I going to be able to hold my own on this project with them? And um, like you said, like either we're all imposters or none of us are imposters because, you know, everyone has to start somewhere. And as long as you have the mentality yeah. of like, I can grow, I can, I can have a base level of what I'm comfortable with, but I can also change my base level. I can level up that base level so that my base level can continue to grow. So I think, you know, it's only a self-depreciating thought to think that you're not capable of being around greatness and being surrounded by greatness because there's a reason you're there. There are thousands of people who tried to be where you are. So when you get onto that set, and you're surrounded by these people, it's because there are a lot of people who agreed on the fact that you were supposed to be there. So now it's your yeah. turn to believe that too. That's a good point. Also, like we also forget, I think, in this business that there's also the variable of learning. Like we're all learning. I mean, first of all, we're all learning on our walks on, a, on this planet. Nobody has it figured out, right? And we forget it's just a gigantic school. Like, and some of the best learning has come from when we made mistakes, when we failed, when it's fallen apart, when we didn't get what we wanted, when things that we thought went wrong, actually, when things played out, it worked out correctly, you know? But I think like you working on set, like you, you try something and it doesn't work, but then you learn something from doing it. Like, I think the thing for the actor is not to get stuck on being fail safe because then they're risk averse. And if you're not taking risks, you know, there's a, a great quote. I want to hear what you think about that, but there's, I'm going to pull up this quote right now. I'm not a good podcaster in the sense, a lot of, a lot of podcasters like have like their assistance with information on the, they're searching for stuff right away. As soon as that person asks, I have to do it myself. But yeah. I think I have it right here. That, yes, here, this is one of my, this has been one of my favorite quotes ever by Erica Zhang, uh, the writer. And she says, and the trouble is if you don't risk anything, you risk even more. Ooh. Oh, yeah. It's pretty great, right? Yeah, that one hit. That is a great quote. And I, I agree with it wholeheartedly because I think most artists are extremely emotional people, very empathetic and empathic energy. And the fear of failure is one of the most um, excruciating feelings, the feeling of rejection, 
feeling of inadequacy is something that literally feels like death to us. I don't know if anyone else can relate, but I'm pretty sure that they can. Um, and when you put yourself in a position where you're risking, you know, it's all ego-based, where you're risking people thinking, oh no, they're not good, they're not that. There have been actors who are extremely, extremely established and well-respected who've done projects where it didn't translate yeah, and their performances weren't received in a way where they were you know applauded and it's not like they said oh, oh i'm never gonna do something that hard again no okay let's figure out where in that project there was a lack of truth to the point where the audience didn't receive my performance as being genuine mm -hmm. how do i fix that it always comes back to ourselves because as you always say, acting isn't hard. It's not, oh, we have to pull for this. And it's, it's really being so truthful with yourself. And I feel like we live in a society that's very, it's very centered on how to deflect anyone's negative attention, to deflect anyone seeing our true selves because, oh, that's not PC. Oh, that's offensive. Oh, you're offending this person. Oh, how could you not, you know, post this or defend this and blah, 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 blah. And it's just like, what, how do we have an opinion now? How, how can we come from a place where sometimes we disagree with the masses, but it's in our truth to do so. And when you play certain characters, you have to drop all of that. Oh, I wonder what they're going to say about me, what they're going to think about me, how they're going to talk to other people about me. It's like, okay, what is this person's truth? What are their core values? What is their belief system? And if you can't do that yourself because you're afraid of judgment, you're afraid of not being accepted by society, by your friends, by your followers, then you're not gonna have a, an easy time accessing that place of authenticity to bring that to that character. And that's the real challenge. The challenge isn't how do I memorize these words and make it seem like I'm doing good. There's no doing good as an actor. If you're already thinking about being good, you're already doing it wrong. It's being truthful and it's not performative. As much yeah. as we think it's performative, it's not performative. It's being so raw and unfiltered without, you know, without thinking and having that mental thought of like, am I doing this well? And that's mm -hmm. that's kind of a tricky thing for people, especially when you're first starting out because everyone's looking around saying, well, I have to be good or people are gonna find me out. People are gonna think that I'm not talented. And that's, you know, again, back to the ego that's a stab to the ego. So we do whatever we can to protect that. Well, I also think like you're right. And it speaks to, we're living in a culture, right? That's so performative in this aspect of like curating our best selves or like this persona as opposed to the real, the real yeah. person. Right. Sometimes I like, I scream at my phone when I, I'm not really, I'm not on TikTok, but I sometimes will just watch a couple of things. But I'm like, if I stumble and go down the rabbit hole of like, you know how there's like songs on TikTok that people keep using over and over again? You know what I'm talking about, oh, yeah. right? Like, yeah. And yeah. it's the same scenario. So it'd be like watching the same scene over and over again with different music and different. And I'm like, I don't understand like why when I'm watching, I don't even know how to articulate it, Camille. It's like, 
I, when I'm watching that, I'm like, I don't have any access to that person because it's talk about performative. They're just, they're lip wording or they're using somebody else's voice, like, right. The audio, right. It's, I don't even know. See, but I'm just like, what are you showing me? How do I have access to who you are as a person, as an artist, what your views are, how you think, what you feel, how you love when you're just replicating an audio track and then doing like a movement. I don't get it. I really, and I don't, don't mean to sound either. judgmental. <laughs> oh, I know, but that's the thing. See, maybe you, I'm just you already, old. You already don't want to be like judgmental. That's your opinion. And you're completely validated in having that opinion. And that's so true. And I think that that world, and I'm also not a user of TikTok. I, I think I've looked through, like I've scrolled through a couple of times. I didn't get the app until maybe like two weeks ago because my friend kept sending me all these videos and I was like, you know what? Like it's just easier if I just have the app so I can see them. And I noticed the same thing. And it's also just like the, <laughs> it's the kind of desperacy for attention that kind of bothers me. That aspect, it's like, you know, it's not like you're making content because you're, extremely inspired by something or you have something to say about something it's just like oh there's a trend right now we have to get on the trends we have to get views and I think that's kind of dangerous I think um it kind of skews what creative expression should be it should be individual and coming from a place of wanting to share um, how you feel or share something that inspires you. And I don't think, <laughs> I don't think most TikToks are necessarily coming from a place of inspiration, but Hey, like I, I'm, that's my opinion. I'm a different yeah. type of, of person. I'm a different type of creator. And I don't want to assimilate to being another type of creator because that's what's in right now. That's the trend right now. And I'm standing in my power and doing that. And you know what? If people are like, well, you know, Instagram's old. It's just going to be the new Facebook, like the boomers, blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, fine. I'm a boomer then. Sue me. <laughs> yeah. The one good thing I love about TikTok, though, are the food recipes. I will say those are interesting. And I have made some... Does some bomb dishes during COVID. They've been really good. So I do think TikTok is valuable to yeah. watch. Like, oh, it's only five ingredients. I can make that. It tastes delish. You know what I mean? I don't know how we went on this TikTok rant, but I think it just speaks to a lot of what you were talking about. Of I also think we're living in a world too where people are scared to express their opinions. You know, the Olympics are coming up, and you know, the athletes. I don't know if you knew this, Camille, but the athletes. Um, have basically been restricted by the US Olympic Committee or maybe the International Olympic Committee. They're not allowed to protest or speak out against causes, uh, just causes or social justice movements, or they're not allowed to. Um, I don't know what the infraction is, is if they do, but they, the Olympics, I don't know if it comes from the international level or from the, the US level, so forgive me, but, but basically their mandate is the Olympics are supposed to be just about sport. It's not political. And I'm like, oh my God, it's everything is political. Give me a break. So like sports is political. You know what I mean? It's kind of like censoring, you know? So I don't know. I find it to be a really interesting time where at one level, everybody is posting all kinds of stuff about anything all the time, but it's right. really difficult to like find something substantive and real. 
Yeah, exactly. And like, I think that's really difficult for people who are very much um, in love with their art and in love with self-expression because that's, you know, that's the reason why we do it. It's because we're inspired by social change. We're inspired by showing the perspectives of different kinds of people and, you know, the multifaceted versions of all types of people and their experiences. And sometimes those experiences are political. Sometimes they have extremely sensitive topics. Sometimes they have controversial issues. And, you know, sometimes when people ask me about certain projects, they're like, oh, like, is it preachy? Is it like, you know, too much on like the controversy, pushy on certain subjects? And, you know, it's like, well, it has every right to be if that's what it's supposed to be for. That's right. <laughs> and yeah. if, it's, if that's an issue, then maybe it's not your cup of tea, but for whoever created that and the people involved in it, it's really important for them to share that, that voice and that perspective. And there shouldn't be an issue with having controversy. I mean, having conversations is something that keeps us moving forward as a society. And that's why certain projects, certain movies, certain shows have created so many discussions that have actually helped us become more united as a human race. And the division happens when people are silenced and they have to feel like everything has to be, you know, surface level and um, straying away from having those, those strong opinions. It's interesting because I, my boyfriend and I were watching a show last night that we like, and I won't say what it is, but it, it again, it speaks to this point that you're making because in many ways it's very preachy and it's so on the nose about lots of, um, lots of social topics. However, what my takeaway is for, for us, for you and for I, not that we're better people, that's not what I'm saying, but, but for people who are in the arts and creating art and wanting to tell stories and want to, you know, reflect where humanity is right now, we're immersed in that kind of stuff. So maybe for us, it feels not preachy, but we, we get it. But I was telling my boyfriend, I was like, well, as much as this is like over the top, it's also, I don't know, some person who's bigoted and a white supremacist in Alabama might watch it and have a complete epiphany about things that we feel are like really on the nose. But for somebody else, the right place at the right time can create a huge shift, you know, and that then again speaks to the power of art, right? Like, and like you said, if it's not for you, you turn the channel, but for somebody else, that might be a real huge awakening. And that's why oh, I'm getting like really emotional about it. Like that's why we can't, that's like the power of art. You know what I mean? It is. Oh. My mom showed me a lot of adult films when I was younger, like Hotel Rwanda. And oh my God. Uh, when I was like nine and I was so shocked, but also just enamored by how Don Cheadle played Paul Rusesa Bagina and how even like from everything from the scoring to the acting everything about it kind of was so it drawed me in I watched that movie I swear like twice a week and I was not and like seeing dead bodies people getting killed with machetes and I think for me it was because I was you know people try to shelter children a lot which mm. You know you're trying to preserve their innocence and stuff however the real world happens eventually and i think the arts 
allows people to see things that have truly happened. There was a genocide in Rwanda in 1994, and it was extremely controversial how the U.S. was a part of it, how the U.N. was a part of it, you know, and then how the Peace Corps came in after and, and tried to help with reparations of the country. And the fact that I had such a extreme knowledge of that situation purely because of how that film depicted that war, I started to respect the arts in a way of just like, you know, it doesn't matter what, you know, this news article said or what, you know, the Democrats versus Republicans said. Sometimes artists take an approach that has no agenda. And it's just like they are purely interested in sharing a story and you can see it firsthand through somebody's eyes. And I don't think there's any other way to gain information in that way other than the arts. And for some people, they'd be like, oh, it's graphic. People are getting killed. You can't watch that, blah, blah, blah. You can't shield your eyes away from things that actually happen in the world because there's nothing we can do to move forward as a society globally if we keep you know, putting blinders on towards things that have actually happened because then history just repeats itself. Well, that's, and that's so, it. Right, exactly. Yeah. And I, you know, sometimes my boyfriend, he gets a little touchy about uh, watching things that are a little deeper and that don't have a happy ending that are more emotional. And I love those. Like Blue is the Warmest Color is one of my favorite films of all time. God, I love that. Did you ever do that scene in class? No, but geez, I might have to when I get back to LA. When you come back, let's do it. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Like I can watch that movie every day for the rest of my life and never get sick of it. And like seeing from their perspectives and like how, you know, the, the naturalness and the, the pure love, like I felt like those people truly were in love and like having yeah. that perspective, like, and seeing that at a young age, like it immediately gave me just like a new respect for all kinds of love and yeah. stories like that stories like milk like I was so enamored by that story and how who's the the, the actor who played Harvey Milk uh uh, uh um, Sean Penn Sean Penn yeah Sean Penn and how I just cried and cried and cried because I fell in love with his character and when he got killed I was just I was so taken aback and I cried like after the movie I was I was you know, broken. I was like, you know, and knowing that that was a true story, it's just, you know, I would have never, I would never have known any of these things that have happened in real life had I not seen the real depiction and how someone who had a true vision of how this story could be told put their everything into it. And there's no way I would want any of those things censored ever. Like that would be a true disservice to society we have so much power and so much um we it, yeah just power in in a, the best way um to tell stories in a way where no one can shut us up no one can hush us no one can you know they can change the channel but it's still going to be there for however many other people are out in the world who want access to it and that's such a special yeah. thing yeah the power of storytelling Today's podcast episode is sponsored by We Audition. Receive 25% off with the promo code AMAW on weaudition.com. 
the video chat community to audition, rehearse, self-tape, and get advice, and hopefully book the fucking job. Let me ask you, yeah. uh, with the social justice movement and, and how things have slowly are changing in Hollywood, have you seen like an uptick in opportunities for you as a non-white actor and... Absolutely. I think, you know, I mean, what happened this morning speaks lengths. The the first two pilots to be picked up for CW were All-American Homecoming, which is produced and show ran by one of the most incredible Black women I've, I've met in the industry, MK, and, um, and then Ava DuVernay's uh, Naomi. And uh, the fact that those were the two that immediately were picked up that really uh -huh. says something and says like there's an initiative there and then also you know I've seen definitely an uptick of roles and projects that aren't just about highlighting diversity because it's not always people tend to say okay this is a, a diverse project this is a, a project that you know you there's a lot of people of color there's you know a lot of um exposure of the culture but sometimes it's it's just as beautiful to have a normal any kind of of project any kind of story that's just told through the eyes of a person of color but it doesn't necessarily have to highlight okay this is about a, a black girl in the hood. This is about who like worked through struggle. It doesn't always have to deal with struggle. It doesn't always have to deal with oppression. Sometimes it's okay to just celebrate the multifaceted experience of um, diverse people and people of color, um, of Asian Americans, of African Americans, of Latino Americans. And that's something that I've noticed is becoming more and more prevalent and then having also diverse people directing these projects too. It's not always in front of the camera, it's behind the camera, the writers, the producers, the directors, and that alone is creating such a change in the culture in this industry. And it's actually like so, so relieving to me because um, it's not just about my opportunity, it's about the opportunity of my peers and I'm consistently rooting them on just as much as I'm rooting myself on. A friend of mine was telling me, I haven't seen it yet, but there's uh, an adaptation. I think it's a TV series. Uh, it's Charles Dickens' Great Adaptations. And mm -hmm. it's um, Ravi Patel, I think, is the lead on it or Dev Patel. I'm not sure. I know one actor named oh. Ravi Patel and then another actor. I, I don't know Dev Patel personally, but I know that he's a big actor. But anyway, and what's interesting is it's completely like he's so he's an Indian actor, right? But the the but the person playing his mom is not Indian. Like she's cast, I don't know how she's cast, but she's not cast the same ethnicity. They they basically, I guess their reasoning, which I love, is sort of colorblind casting, which is they feel like Charles Dickens has been read by so many people of from everywhere over so many years that through the eyes of, of each reader, each character would come alive, right? If you're a black girl reading Charles Dickens or you're a white gay guy or a trans, so like uh, actor or a trans kid, like, and so all those roles, it's so diverse, but it's not diverse based on any specificity. It's just like 
kind of what I've always believed, Camille, is like whoever's the best actor, like unless it has to be ethnically specific, right? Like then just, but whatever. It's like Hollywood is slowly coming around, right? But anyway, I thought that that was yeah. really, I haven't seen that show yet, but I thought, oh, that's so awesome. Like, or you've seen it, we've yeah. seen it in plays. Plays have done that before as well, where it's just like, it should be incidental, right? Like who cares, but- Totally. And I love like, I love when shows, they have diverse storylines or storylines that have things that are, you know, new on screen to be normalized. And it's very incidental. It's one of the reasons why I'm a huge fan of Schitt's Creek. Nothing was like in your face, like, oh, like we have to, you know, support this and diverse that. Everything was very incidental in this like happy little town where people, they didn't really, uh, there was no hatred. There was no, oh, there's like this kind of person and this kind of person. And they were able to celebrate it and celebrate diversity in a way that was, like you said, very incidental or just like, oh, coincidence, that person just happens to be this way. And I think the closer we get to a place of normalizing that diversity isn't necessarily, um, diversity can also be dividing too. And I think having such situations where you're just celebrating those diverse backgrounds or having people who are trans or bi or gay and not being like, you know, like, look, we have a gay couple. Look, we have a trans person. It's just like, oh yeah, of course. It shouldn't be like a conversation. It should be like, they belong here. Of course they are. Why, you know, you don't have to make a big deal out of it because it shouldn't be something that's a minority situation. It should be an equal situation. Or like moving beyond tokenism, right? Like, oh, it's your one, the one Asian character because they have to tick the box. You know what I mean? Or, you know, so... I mean, I, I think that that is slowly starting to change and that's exciting to see. Tell us a little bit about, so, okay, so you're up there filming Riverdale, but then when do you start, because you shot the pilot for All American Homecoming, right? Is that what, so you were waiting to hear if it was going to get picked up? Yes, we shot the pilot um, in April. Yeah, late March through April, and we just got our pickup today. And so uh, we're supposed to be doing mid-season, so probably pick up filming in July. So I'll get home, have a nice few weeks off, and then um, we'll start up. Not sure exactly where. Hoping it's in LA. <laughs> really hoping yeah. it's in LA. Um, <laughs> I really want to be home, y'all. <laughs> but yeah. where did you shoot Katie Keene? New York. In New York. Which was great. I mean, it was fun. It was. It was it was very um, it was exciting to shoot in New York, but New York. yeah, I think you know when you get to a certain point, you know I have my little boyfriend, I got my little dog, and like I have my life, you know my friends. So like I think it, it it's always been um, a dream of mine to have like a good job in my home so let's let's pray put your your good energy and vibes out there for me that will stay in LA yeah well I wonder but, where does the show where does like where does the fictional or like yeah, where does the show play it's, it's supposed to take place in either North Carolina or Atlanta it's supposed to be an HBCU so it's following oh. the lives of uh 
email. Yeah, of a. Um, You're going to Atlanta, <laughs> Camille. <laughs> it's a possibility, but it follows the um, the journey of a female tennis team and then um, boys baseball team at HBCU, which is really great because you don't really see a lot of stories that show African Americans in those sports, specifically baseball and ah. tennis, and. Yeah. You know, you you just hear, oh, yeah, Serena Williams, Venus Williams. Williams. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you don't see, you know, it. we're still very much um, minorities in the sport. I grew up playing tennis, actually, and was a four-year undefeated tennis champion in high school. So this role was, like, almost specifically just so perfect for me. And my experience as being the only Black girl on – on a high school tennis team and um, playing a, a lot of great tennis players from other private schools. And I experienced a lot of weirdness. You know, one girl after uh, I beat her wouldn't even shake my hands um, after our match. And, you know, I have a speech in, in the pilot that when I saw the size, I was like, okay, this, this is a story that I want to tell because it, basically was me talking to my co-star about how when we're black women on a tennis court people are going to judge us on everything so when you go out there you have to play excellently or don't play at all and that's that's been that's been a truth for me in so many ways in life growing up being in you know the private schools being one of three black people in my grade and people expecting a stereotype and you kind of have to grow up a little and mature a little faster than people because you're always experiencing both direct and indirect racism and having to not play into the stereotype of you know being angry and going off and retaliating but you know holding your own and just bringing excellence to everything you do from whatever sport you play to academics and holding your head high and taking the high road because they're expecting you to take the low road every single time. That is, that's a story that is uh, intertwined into this pilot, but it's not all about that. It's also highlighting the very beautiful and unique experience of being at HBCU and the pilot takes place during homecoming week, which is, if you know anything about HBCUs, homecoming week is when it's lit lit. Like everyone, everyone and their mothers are out partying, having fun, dancing, the step teams do their thing. You know, stepping is huge. You probably have seen some movies that show it like Stomp the Yard. Yeah, and, you know, drumline with, like, the whole, you know, marching bands. You know, it's a culture that is very underrepresented on TV. And uh, the fact that we get to bring it to television is something I am so beyond excited about. And just the celebration of, like, the beauty and um, the diversity within our own culture it's just it's, it's going to be so exciting and i'm like beyond honored and i really hope we we bring it the justice it deserves i'm sure we will but like i just know it's way this project is way bigger than any of us individually and it's really important to show to show this like very kind of like celebratory uh experience that black people have 
and um, I think everyone's gonna love it. I think it's gonna be well received, and I'm just, I'm so excited about it. Fun for you. Well, Camille, what was yeah. the and uh, what was the audition process for that? Because obviously you booked it during COVID, so was it just a number of self tapes and then a, it was a funny. no. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna laugh you're gonna laugh oh my gosh so essentially um you know i have a really great rapport with um berlanti berlanti uh they produced katie keen they're the the executive producers of riverdale and they're also the executive producers of all american and now all american homecoming so i had gone through the testing process already with warner brothers and cw and alongside uh, Greg Berlanti and Sarah Schechter before um, going through the Katie Keen process. Right. And they were always so supportive of me. They always have been so gracious and so kind. And when I first saw the script, well, the sides, I was honestly on the phone with my manager turning down a test deal for another show that could have been exciting, but it just didn't, there's something, it just wasn't right for me. And I had to really, you know, take a moment. And like I said earlier, your no's are just as important as your yeses. And it was great to, to be in a position where I could screen test for a very, what sounded like would be a great show. But when things don't, you know, match up, you have to know your worth and you, you know. But the same day I saw this breakdown, I read the synopsis and I was just like, I kind of want to do that you know can you email leah daniels like leah daniels and i have a great rapport um and her assistant is like one of my good buddies so they're like yeah we already knew about camille we're gonna wait until producers to tell her about it anyway and so um <laughs> i had booked a trip uh a few weeks before to go to turks and caicos <laughs> and of course I go to Turks and Caicos and I get a call from my manager who goes, okay, so tomorrow um, they want you to do producer session with the director, executive producer um, of the show in Berlanti, that team's gonna be there. It's gonna be at 4 p.m. So it was gonna be 7 p.m. Eastern time. And I was like, oh, well, I'm getting on a plane in the morning, so I'm going to have to figure it out when I get there. I'll bring my computer and, you know, hope for the best, hoping they have good Wi-Fi, like, you know, but at, at that point, I was just like, it is what it is, and I'll, I'll do my best with what I got. And I got there, and um, I had a nice little uh, study area where I can set myself up, got on the call, What's up, everyone? How are y'all doing? Good to see you. Good to see you. Um, did did the two scenes, and then <laughs> it's so funny because my boyfriend makes fun of me all the time. I'm always just like, it was all right, but we're on vacation. Let's go drink, whatever. <laughs> right. Not Let's thinking anything, whatever. Yeah, exactly. And so um, that was it, honestly. And um, they, I, they didn't get back to us until I had already gotten back home um, for my vacation. And then I found out that they were gonna just test the tape from producers and um, that was it. That was it, they tested the tape. And then the next day I found out, yeah. So it was the most easy, seamless, you know, pop in, pop out and having that rapport. And like I said before, like, every step in your process is going to be conducive towards your final goal. Katie Keen helped me gain a rapport with Warner Brothers and with CW and with Berlanti to the point where they didn't have to even like 
it was it wasn't even going to be a question once we got to the screen testing phase and they're like yeah. okay this is right for her they knew my work ethic i've always been you know a person who is very professional on set never gave them any issues always you know been very grateful for the opportunities that i've been awarded through them and because of that you know it, i feel like it made their decision process a lot easier and that's another thing for actors out there like never get a big head don't act conceited even when you get a, a big gig and you're surrounded by other you know stars and you're like oh yeah like now i'm on red carpets now we're up fronts now i'm you know at bougie events don't let it get to your head because you know people will talk and when it gets back to the people who are making the decisions they'll choose someone with a better attitude that is oh, yeah. maybe a little less talented than you because they don't have time to deal with it they don't That's want toxic energy on a set because it affects the process it affects the final product and it affects their money because <laughs> time is money and if you're dealing with people having attitudes not showing up on time uh creating issues amongst other people creating issues with you know hair and makeup you know i, I just i found that having a good attitude um is actually a lot more helpful in your career than you think well, I mean, you just want to be nice anyway, right? But then if you can't even find that monicum of being nice, know that being nice to other people, those other people eventually are going to be hiring you for another job, right? It's so, I, I know of some actors who've kind of sabotaged a bit because they they misbehaved. And, you, you know, I think the thing that actors have to remember is everybody's replaceable nowadays. Not just actors, everybody. everybody I'm replaceable. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you just want to just be nice and have fun. And, and then, yeah, work begets work. Good work begets work. And not just the acting work, but like, like you just said, having a work ethic and being professional and being nice and being generous. And, but you're doing that. So Camille, that's a, listen, that is the way it should be. And actually that's the way it is. That's already showing you you're heading in the right direction because most of the actors that I have taught that have really broken through. I was just talking to a, a friend of mine the other day, you know, a lot of her work has come from other, the like the same producers who've moved on to other jobs and then just call the actor up and like, we want you for this. Just put yourself on tape and you're, it's really about knowing people and doing good work. You know what I mean? So I think that's a yeah. great reminder. We're in travel far. Yeah, it really does. It's a small, we're, we're working in a small business here, right? Like everybody kind of knows everybody, but so Camille, like, oh my God, an hour is almost here already. It goes by so fast. So let's do the speed round. Okay. If you weren't an actor, what would you be? Zoologist. Oh, wow. What's your favorite film of all time or just besides Hotel Rwanda? <laughs> um, Blue is the warmest color. Also love that movie. What's something you can't do without? Thai food. Thai food. Okay. I thought you said spicy food. Who's your celebrity crush? It could be male or female. Nick Jonas! <laughs> um, what would be the advice you would give your younger self? Everything's gonna be okay if you act with a attitude of gratitude. What scares you the most? Being alone. <laughs> uh, what, how would you describe acting in one, one word? Daring. What's what's a takeaway you've had from the school studying with us? 
don't take yourself so seriously. Seriously. So good to remember that. Yeah. It's not serious, really. Like, you know what I mean? Or the yeah. offering. Sometimes we're asked to go to really intense, dark, beautiful spaces, but but the offering is of joy and of fun and yeah. And what's your definition of love? Being supportive of others, even if you're hurting. Oh, that's beautiful. That is very altruistic. I always just say my definition of love is just this moment right now. Oh, I love that. Well, Camille, it's been so great to see you. Um, tell our listeners where they can find you. So you're going to be on Riverdale at some point in the future because you're shooting now. And then you're going to start on your new show. But where can they find you on socials? And then I guess, yeah, where your shows are all on the CW. So that's where they're going to find you. Yeah, easy peasy on CW. Yeah, you can follow me at Camille Hyde on Instagram. Sorry, I'm not a TikToker. Probably won't happen ever, but never say never. I don't know. But for now, Instagram, Camille Hyde. And then All American Homecoming is probably going to be out um, sometime early 2022. Oh, wow. Okay. Do you know how many uh, episodes yet? I think it'll be 13. Wow. Okay. Yay. Yeah. You can pay for classes again. Yeah. <laughs> Camille, when you come back, I didn't know you were like a tennis sensation. I've been playing tennis again. I would love, my boyfriend and I, we should play with you. My boyfriend plays too, so we can play doubles. Okay, yeah, but you guys are probably going to kick our asses. I'm not that good. I was going to say, I'll also maybe pay you to give me a like, I'm I'm pretty good. I can hit the ball. I, I have a, a fierce backhand. But sometimes I overhit my forehand and I need a bit, I think it's my grip and I need. It's the brush. You have to brush a forehand, a backhand you hit differently, but I will, I will show you a couple of tricks. It would just would be fun, but you probably will be like, you just have to have patience. <laughs> oh, absolutely. No, don't worry. It'll be fun. Today's podcast episode is sponsored by We Audition. Receive 25% off with the promo code AMAW on weaudition.com. The video chat community to audition, rehearse, self-tape, and get advice, and hopefully book the fucking job.